Christine Wallace preaching. Uh, I want you to imagine that you, you know, somehow were transported 2,000 years ago into the times of, you know, Jesus, right? Not when Jesus was alive, but during those times, like people living in kind of tents, you know, with shepherds, they're dirty, right? And you get transported, and you've got just, just your clothes on you. You have nothing, right? And, the, you know, the king finds you, and they're like, who's this foreigner? And they're about to take you and execute you. And, they, and then you're like, no, no, I'm from the future. I'm from the future. And, you're, and they're like, okay, if you're from the future and you're not a spy, tell us something from the future. And you're like, uh, well, I was just on my phone before I was teleported. So imagine trying to explain what a smartphone is. A cell phone is to people living 2,000 years ago. Just think about that for a second. You can't show it to them, right? You don't have it on you. How would you possibly explain it to somebody in a way that they would understand? Go ahead. What? Draw it. Okay, you draw it. So they're like... Hmm, a box. That's what you'll see is a box. They probably didn't speak in uh, British accent back then, but um, so imagine saying like, "Okay, well, um, um, okay, well, first of all, a smartphone it allows you to talk to somebody over a long distance, so you could hear people across the world, right? Like one end to the other, and you can talk to them, but by being really far away." And you imagine them like, okay, okay, uh, go on. And, you know, when you're doing this, all you can do is just give them like pictures or analogies, right? Like comparisons. Or, for example, the camera. Oh, there's this function. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a painter that can paint instantly and perfectly. He's good. And he paints the picture. They're like... Okay, and that's all in one? Like the talking and the painting, it's all in one? Yes. And ima- just imagine like them trying to understand that. Or like texting. You're like, uh, it's uh, the smartphone, when you text, it's like a messenger that can run really fast, back and forth, back and forth, hundreds of miles, and can carry messages between people. And they're like... Dude, what are you talking about? We're, we're going to cut your head off right now. I don't believe any of this that you're saying. FaceTime, it's like a, it's like a window, right? From one side of the world to the other side of the world. And you can see through that window, right? The internet, it's like all these books that you have in your library, all of the million books, all squeezed into one little device. And you can just see these looks that are like... If what you're saying is true, that's amazing. All these in one. And we understand that all these pictures, all these analogies, that's another fancy word for picture, would just give people a glimpse into what a smartphone is, right? Like, if you were to explain that, do you think people would walk away saying, oh, I totally understand what a smartphone is? Would they? No, they wouldn't, right? They'd understand how much? This much, maybe? Less, like... Right? Like, tiny. But, but now they still actually understand something, right? And this is what I want to do today. I want to talk about the wonders of Jesus Christ. About who He really is. And I'm going to come at it from many different angles. Just like trying to describe the cell phone to people living 2,000 years ago. I'm going to come from this angle, this angle, this angle. And I'm going to just hope, I'm praying, that we would catch a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And you guys realize that Jesus is so marvelous. He is so magnificent and so beautiful and wonderful and infinite. That he is greater than that cell phone you're trying to explain to people 2,000 years ago. He's even greater than that. Even more wonderful, more marvelous, more awesome 
So we're going to look at him from many angles. And yes, we will fail to fully understand him. We will never be able to fully understand him. But that doesn't mean, guys, listen up. That doesn't mean that we can't learn something about him. Does that make sense, right? Just because you can't know everything about something doesn't mean you can't know something about it. Now, how does our culture, like people that are not Christian, how do they look at Jesus? Any volunteers? Hobo? Kind of a made-up person. Yeah, go ahead, raise hand. It's all fake, okay? Made-up stories, right, at best. Government, right, just kind of religious people trying to control. You know, kind of, you know, even if people believe that he was real, they think, you know, maybe he's some, like, peaceful guy, right? Just some peaceful, kind of, kind of loving hippie that walks around, you know, he drinks decaf tea, drives a Prius, so it's good for the environment, right? Just loves the earth, right? Loves people, dude, peace, you know, chill. Like, that's... That's our culture's image of Jesus. But guys, here's what I'm here to tell you. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. First of all, Colossians 2.9. I'm going to just start with this. It's quick. Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, For in Jesus, the fullness, the fullness of, The whole fullness of deity, deity means godness, godness. The full godness dwells or lives bodily. So what Paul is saying is Jesus is the fullness of God lives in the body of Jesus. Jesus is not part God. He's not 75% God. He's not 99% God. He is 100% fully God. Are we on the same page about that? So, let's talk about Jesus and the power of his word. Guys, Matthew 8, 27. Do you remember this? Do you guys remember this passage when the disciples are at sea, right? And the waves are going crazy and he's sleeping in the boat. You guys remember that story, right? What happened? They woke him up and what? And he, you guys speak up loud, I can't hear you. He calms the storm, right? And we read this, Matthew 8, 27. He got up and rebuked the winds. Rebuke means saying, hey, stop. He rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, I understand where you guys are coming from. Who here went to Sunday school or goes to Sunday school still? Come on, guys, I, I, let's be a little more honest. There's, there's nothing shameful in going to I went to Sunday school, right? And we all heard this story, right? Who here, guys, honestly, raise their hands. I want your participation, but only with me. Not with your neighbors, okay? Who here has never heard that story? We all heard that story, right? And here's the, here's the, the bad part about that. Is we know it so much that we're like, yeah, that's just what Jesus does. Birds fly, you know, squirrels climb trees, and Jesus calms the storm. That's normal. But I want you, I want you, I want you to imagine how the people in that storm actually experienced it. I remember I went free diving for abalone before. You guys know what free diving is? So free diving is when you, you've got a wetsuit because it's really cold. If you think it's cold outside, it's, it gets even colder. I've got an 8 millimeter suit that I'm floating in the Pacific Ocean. No air tank, nothing. And you just, you lay there, you slow down your heartbeat. And then you go, and you just dive. And you go 20, 25, 30 feet down, right? And you're looking for this abalone. It's a shell. You pop it off the rock. You swim up. You put it into a little balloonchik that's floating next to you, a little floaty. And you put it into a net. You can catch up to three a day or used to be able to catch up to three a day. They're heavy. You know, they're five pounds each. So I remember we went the first time, me and my brother, and we caught 
each of us caught three of these abalones. Imagine just rocks, right? These rocks. We've got nets. We've got these flotation devices. We're in these uncomfortable suits. We have fins on. Anybody ever tried walking with fins before? Okay, that's impossible. You understand that, right? It's, you can't do it. So, and when we got in, we got in in the morning, and it was calm. But by the time we were getting out, the wind had picked up, and the waves got intense. Now, keep in mind, we didn't get in from the beach. We got in from the side on, like, the cliff, basically, off the rocks. And you guys know what happens when there's waves and there's cliffs and rocks? You get slammed against the rocks. And it was terrifying because we're swimming up and you feel like this massive, like thousands of pounds of water just go boom, just hit the cliff next to you. You feel that thump and you're like, if I'm there, when it hits me, I'm dead, literally just going to get crushed. And so you're swimming and you're, and you don't want to get too close to the cliff, but you gotta, you gotta get out. You gotta find that perfect little landing spot and you gotta get out. And the beach is really far away. It's hundreds of feet away. Um, we can't reach that. And so we're trying, we're trying to find this perfect spot to exit through. And we've got these flotation devices. I've got a pound of rocks, like a backpack of rocks that I'm trying to pull with me. I've got fins on, not shoes, where I just climb up on the cliff and get out. I've got ropes everywhere tangling me. I've got waves just going back and forth and you're just trying to time it perfectly. I remember at one point we're like, finally, like I get up onto a rock that's kind of submerged and I'm like on my knees like this. And I'm like, I'm about to get out. I'm about to like 20 minutes after trying to get out. I'm about to get out and it's incredibly frustrating. And then all of a sudden the wave just hits me. Boom. And I fly back. And that moment was one of the scariest moments I had in my life. When all of my legs, my arms, everything disconnected from that rock. I understood that I might land against the rock right now. I understand I might just get sucked into some, the wave and get submerged. Like At that moment, I was like Job. Just cursing the day of my birth. Because of how terrifying it was. I was literally on the brink of death. And I just imagine if I'm just struggling there and just imagine someone on the standing by the ocean just says, be still. And just a perfect calm. As you're fighting for your life, as you don't know whether you're going to make it or not, someone just with a word says, be still. And the ocean was still. Guys, this is what happened with Jesus. We, we would be more afraid of that man than of the ocean. You realize that, right? Because when Jesus spoke, something that wasn't alive obeyed him. Like, how is that possible? Imagine you're driving or your friend or your mom or your parents, they're driving and all of a sudden you're on the freeway, all of a sudden your tire pops and you just start spinning out of control. My friend had this happen, he's just spinning, right? Imagine you're spinning out of control. He said he's seen cars passing by him as he's spinning on the freeway. Imagine you're like, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die right now because somebody's just going to crash into us. And as you're, as, in your, as you're panicking, all of a sudden the car just goes. And it just starts driving. Just normal. Just as if nothing ever happened. You would be terrified. You would be terrified. Especially if someone was sitting in the back and they said, drive straight. And it's just driving straight. You're like... What just happened? This is what the power, this is the power of the words of Jesus, guys. This is not just animals obeying Jesus. This is all creation. In fact, we see that not just inanimate objects, but also irreversible diseases obeyed Jesus. In John 9, a man was born blind from birth. Jesus spoke. And he was healed. Irreversible disabilities obey the words of Jesus because of who he is. Science still cannot do that 2,000 years later. And Jesus was doing that. 
You know, when I was a kid, I was short. I didn't like it, right? Because I felt like everybody was taller, cooler, better than me. And just imagine, imagine you, right? We've all got things about our bodies that are permanent, right? Or, or more or less permanent. They can't change in an instant. Now imagine you're the short kid and you've been always short. And someone just comes into the room and says, Hey, you, stand up. And you stand up and you're taller than everybody else by a head. I mean, like, that is literally the things that Jesus was doing. Like, mind-boggling things. Your pants are a little shorter. You know, they're all tucked up. Your shirt is short. You can see your belly button because Jesus made you grow in an instant. We see that evil spirits trembled before Jesus. Matthew 5, verses 6 and 7. And when he saw, this is the man that was possessed by demons, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell before him. And crying out with a loud voice. Guys, just imagine this demon-possessed man with thousands of demons speaking through him. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you by God, do not torture me. Guys, these are evil spirits that are so powerful. We read in the Bible that there are angels that the Lord sent that would kill 180,000 people in one night. There's 2,000 people in our church. About 1,000 people can fit into our main sanctuary on a full Sunday service, right? 1,000 people. Now get 1,000 times 180. 180 of those buildings full of people the Lord used to kill the enemies of Israel in one night. Just, just slayed all of them because they were opposing God. That, you don't think that the evil spirits have that kind of power too? You think they're weak? No, guys. Evil spirits are very powerful. They would rip us to shreds in a moment if only God would allow it for a second. But he doesn't. He doesn't allow it. And these evil spirits, powerful spirits, were trembling before him and just listening and obeying every single word that he had to say. Guys, we even read, speaking of the power of Jesus' word, Hebrews 1.3, it says, And he, that's Jesus, upholds the universe... So that's all things, all galaxies, stars, oceans, trees, mountains, roads, houses. He upholds the entire universe. How? By the word of his power. He has a word of power. And he uses that word to literally uphold. Right now, guys, everything you see, these lights, the background, the stage, your body, my body, your neighbor's body, the floor, the ceiling. Everything you have ever seen in your life, Jesus is upholding right now, every millisecond. He's holding it in existence by just a word, just a word. His word is upholding it. It's like, you know, a TV. What happens when, you, when a TV is playing and you unplug it? Just black. Nothing, Right? doesn't matter what picture you're showing there. It could be any picture. As soon as you unplug it, it turns off. It's the same thing with the word of power that Jesus is using to uphold the universe. If he were to just withdraw his word for just a second, just everything would go black. There would be nothing. We would not exist, guys. If he was to withdraw his word by just one second. So that is the power of his words. The next thing we see, guys, is that nobody ever spoke like him before. This is kind of related to his word, but it's the way he spoke. So in John 7, verse 46, what we see happening is Jesus is teaching out in the crowds. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the people that were opposing him, right? They told their officers, their guards, 
to go and arrest him. You guys, anybody remember this story? So they go to try to arrest him, and were they successful? No, they weren't. They came back to the Pharisees empty-handed. And the Pharisees said, where's Jesus? Why didn't you arrest him? And do you know what the officers told him? They said, no one ever spoke like this man. Guys, just think about this for a second. Just, Just try to imagine this for one second. No one ever spoke like this man. Imagine you're outside, you're, you're at your house, and you look through your front window on a Saturday morning, and you see just like cop cars and swamp cars pull up. You're like, what's going on? There's got a helicopter on top. They've got snipers on the roof. You're like, dude, they're about to arrest my, they're about to arrest my neighbor. And, and so they get in, they, 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 boom, knock the door down. They run in there, and you're like, well, they're going to either carry a dead body out right now, or they're going to take him out and he's going to be handcuffed. 20 minutes later, you see this SWAT, this SWAT come out, wave by, fix the door that they broke, get back into their car, and just drive away. You're like, where's the neighbor? So you come and knock on his door, and there he is. He's there. And you talk to the SWATs before they leave, and you're like, guys... What happened? Like, you guys put on this whole show. Was it just a practice, a skit? Like, no, no, no. The judge told us to arrest him. Here's the warrant. Here's his name. You look, you're like, yeah, he needed to be arrested. So why didn't you arrest him? No one ever talked like him before. You're like, what? What what does that even mean? Like, imagine how a person would need to talk today, like right now. In order for the special forces, for the SWAT team, not to arrest him when commanded by their bosses. Think about the authority and the power that his words have. And the way that he talked. That they they couldn't even arrest him. Similar passage, Luke 19, verse 47. And he was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests, that's the religious leaders and the scribes. And the main men, the leading men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. Here's another wild part about Jesus. You guys all know that famous quote that Jesus said, I am the what? The way, the truth, the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And you know, we we hear that all the time, right? We're like, yeah, it makes sense. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. But, But guys, notice, either Jesus is a, like, one of those crazy people. Like, if you were to fit him into a box, if he's either one of those crazy people that's just pushing a shopping cart outside, talking to himself, saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, right? Um, he's not saying, I know the way. He's not saying, I'll teach you the way. I'll show you the way. I'll lead you to the way. No, he's saying, I am the way. Either Jesus is that crazy person talking to himself. Or he actually is what he says he is. Lord. He's either a lunatic or he's a Lord, guys. Which one is he to you? Jesus saying, I am the truth, is, is, it's as crazy as saying, like someone came up and said, guys, I am math. You're like, what? What is that? What is, like, you can't be math. <laughs> People can't be math. Well, Jesus wasn't an ordinary person. Jesus was something so much more. Jesus was something so much greater that he could say, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. He's either a lunatic or he is Lord. The other thing we see is that he forgave people their sins. Matthew 9, 2. And when Jesus saw, so you guys remember that story when uh, he was teaching, they couldn't come to him, right? So they threw the roof, they lowered down their friend, right? You guys remember that story? Yeah, so they lower him down, 
And before he heals him, he tells him. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want you to imagine. Imagine the person sitting next to you. Imagine that they hit you. Just imagine, just like really painfully, like slap you, like put you down, right? They, they hit you really painfully. Don't do it. Don't do that now, please, okay? <laughs> this is not a participate, uh, participation part, okay? So imagine that happens and you're really hurt. You're like, how could you do this to me? Like you're genuinely hurt. And, you're just and then just continue listening as if nothing ever happened. No apology, nothing. And I come up on stage and I tell that person sitting next to you, hey, I forgive you for hitting him. I forgive you for slapping her. I forgive you. You'd be like, excuse me? Who are you to forgive? I mean, you're not the one that was sinned against. I was sinned against. I'm the one who has the right to forgive a person. And in fact, they didn't even ask, they didn't even say sorry. How could you forgive? That's my right. And you see, the reason Jesus was forgiving was because he was the one who was sinned against by all people and all human sin. That's why. Which means Jesus is God. And he was the one that was sinned against. Because you guys realize that all sin that we do, doesn't matter who we do it to, somebody, ourselves, or just in general, all sin is first and foremost a sin against God. All sin hurts God more than it hurts any other person. That slap against your friend, your friend slapping you, right? That, if that was true, that would actually hurt God even more. To see His children hurting one another. His heart is huge. And He feels that pain even more than all of us feel. We'll forget about that soon. God doesn't forget he doesn't have bad memory. Every sin that is sinned by all people, it hurts God so much more. And so God is able to say, I forgive you your sin. Jesus felt the pain of the sins of all people more than any human being, and he still forgave them. So Jesus said, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. The next thing we see is that Jesus, and I'll, just, I'll, I'll read this, I'll read a verse for you guys. John 8, 58. So the Pharisees are arguing with him. And he says, guys, stay calm. Abraham, rejoice to see my day. And they're like, Abraham? Like, you're not even 40 years old. Abraham's been dead for over a thousand years. How are you saying that Abraham seen your day coming? Like, how do you two have anything to do with one another? Makes sense, right? Guys, does that question make sense? Like, somebody 2,000 years ago, you're like, how do you have any connection? How do you know him at all? And I love what Jesus said. Do you guys remember what Jesus said? Anybody? Brownie points, I'm sure it'd be cool to give you guys a little prize if anybody remembers. What did, what did Jesus say? Hmm? I can't hear you guys, gotta speak louder. I'm like a little bubble screen. You know, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what did he say? I am. He said, truly, truly, before Abraham was, I am. And now if you've been paying attention at all, your entire life, you will know something sounds really wrong about that statement. Jesus, 
You're not using the right grammar. That's bad grammar. I get it. You weren't educated, right? You're supposed to say, I was Jesus, not I am. That doesn't fit. It doesn't compute. But Jesus said that intentionally. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, before Abraham was, before Abraham existed, I am in the present moment. And what this means, what what Jesus is actually doing, is he's actually making a reference to the Old Testament. When in Exodus 3.14, when Moses was talking to God, the Lord, right? And he says, what's your name? And how did God identify himself? God said, I am who I am. I am uh, who I am. And Jesus is making a reference to that. Jesus is saying, I am the one that spoke to Moses. I am the one who said, I am who I am. Now guys, think about this phrase, I am who I am. I want you to answer right now. Like, if I was to ask you, who are you? He is an I don't know. Okay. Anybody else want to try it? I'm a Christian. I am a Christian. Great. Any else? Anybody else? Go ahead. Yeah. I am a child of God. Okay. Yeah. You. He's a. I'm not sure. Africa. He's an African. Okay. Go ahead. I'm a person. Okay, last one. The girl back there. I am a believer. So you guys notice. You guys notice this. Every time. Like if someone were to ask me. Guys, listen, listen up. Listen up. What would I say? What would you say? Say, I am. I'm a man. I'm a Christian. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Right? I need your attention, guys. All of these things that I'm saying, right? I'm a person, I'm a believer, I'm a child of God. We're all appealing to something. We're we're, we're referencing something larger, right? You're saying, I'm a Christian. I'm not all Christians. I'm just a Christian. I'm one of a larger box, so to speak, right? A box. I'm in that box. I'm in the man box. I'm in the husband box. I'm in the, uh, I was going to say wife, but no, I'm not. Um, in the father box, right? I'm in these different boxes. But you, get, you realize every time I'm identifying myself, I'm making a reference to something larger than me. Here's the problem that God runs into. When God says, who am I? He doesn't say that, but when he thinks, I am, and he thinks about what category do I fit into? You know what his problem is? It's not really a problem. God doesn't fit into any category. There's literally no box that is large enough to contain all of God. God has no category, no larger box to fit himself into. So his only option, his only choice is to say, is to identify himself with his own self. Because God is the box that ultimately gives meaning to all things and not the other way around. So when Moses asks God who he is, he says, I am who I am. I am the only self-existent one. All other things depend upon me. All other things find meaning in me. All other things relate back to me and not me the other way around. Guys, this is mind-boggling. And Jesus, to the 
Jews said before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am the self-existent one who has always existed and all things depend upon me. And it is no wonder that in chapter 8, right after he said that, they all, what, what do they do? They all picked up stones and tried to kill him because they understood exactly what he said. John 1, related to this, John 1, chapter, verse 3 says, All things were made, this is about Jesus, all things were made through him. And without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made. Verse 10, he was in the world. And the world was made through him. Guys, how is that possible? To make a world and then to, be, to have the world be made through you and then to also be in the world. I don't know, but God can do it. And yet the world did not know him. Another one. As I love the words of Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 16. Jesus said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And then he, look at what he says. I am the root and the descendant or the son of David, the bright morning star. Guys, you know, we all hear this like, yeah, he's the root and the descendant of David. But just think about that for a second, guys. What is a root? What is a root, guys? The plant grows from the root, right? The plant starts at the root. You can't, you don't, like, the tree doesn't grow its trunk and then it grows the root. No, it starts with the root. He's saying the beginning, right? The beginning. He's saying, I am the beginning of David. And then he says, I'm the descendant of David. That means I come from David. In other words, I am the root and the fruit of David. In other words, I am the father of David and I am the son of David. Like, what? How can your father be your son? The only way you can do that is if you're God. That's the only one who can break those rules. Nobody else. This is our Jesus. This is that man that walked upon Israel. You know what else Jesus is? Jesus is terrifying. Guys, Jesus is terrifying. Let me read for you Revelation 19, verse 11. And then I saw the heaven open. This is John seeing a vision. And behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. In righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe or clothing dipped in blood. Guys, if someone walked through this door... And their clothes is fully in blood. And they've got a knife covered in blood. Would you be scared? Yeah, yeah. This is what this is this is the scene. No, thank you. I can see you guys now. You're real. So here Jesus arrives from heaven on a white horse with his clothes soaked in blood. And by the context, it's not his blood, it's the blood of his enemies. And the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in beautiful clothes, clothed in beautiful clothes, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And listen to this, from his mouth came, comes a sharp sword. With which to strike down the nations. And he will rule with a rod of iron. It's a stick of metal. Just destroying ground, right? He will tread. So stamp. Like step on. The winepress of the fury of the wrath of God 
the Almighty. The image is grapes being crushed. What comes out of grapes when they're crushed? Grape juice. What does grape juice look like? Blood. Blood. This is the image. There's so much blood flowing. Because he is going to fulfill the wrath of God when this world ends. And he will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We also see in Revelation 1, chapter 1, verse 16. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. 2 Thessalonians 2, 18, when it talks about the Antichrist. Paul says, and then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Guys, this is crazy. Jesus doesn't need a gun. Jesus doesn't need a tank. He doesn't need an atomic bomb. He just comes up and he says, Die. And your life is over in the most painful way possible. Just instantly. That is the power that he holds with his word. Jesus is for peace. Jesus is for peace. He is the Prince of Peace. But there will come a day when he will come and judge the world. And he will tread the winepress of the wrath of God. And it says that blood will flow so high it will reach up to a Horses, ears. It's a lot of blood. Jesus is not just some simple, peaceful, hippie human that was misunderstood by the leaders and then he couldn't defend himself, so they crucified him because he wasn't strong enough. No, Jesus is powerful. Jesus is terribly powerful. And you do not want to be on his bad side, guys. And that wrath of God is upon everyone who does not believe in him, who does not turn from their sins. You will find yourself in the winepress of the wrath of God that Jesus will tread on. Jesus is a lion. Speaking of terrifying, right? Lions are terrifying. I remember, in, well, in Revelation 5.5, 5, it says that Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember, my cousin was telling me one time he was at the zoo. And he's seen a lion in the lion's den. And, you know, you're safe. You're far away. And he said he heard the lion actually roar in real life. Like, get up. I'm not going to try to imitate that right now. But he said when he roared, it was such a loud and piercing roar that he had goosebumps go all over his entire body. He knew that he was safe, but it was still really, really scary. Jesus is that Lion of Judah Jesus created lions in this world in order to give us a picture, another picture, another analogy of who he is. You guys get that? That's why he made lions, to show himself to us. Anybody ever hear, heard of Chronicles of Narnia? C.S. Lewis, right? It's a Christian fictional book, and it's about these kids that are living in the real world, and they step into this like magical world. And there's like talking animals and all that stuff. And in that world, Jesus is also in that world. And he's a lion. And his name is called uh, Aslan, right? So, and they meet, the, the kids, they meet some mice. And they're like good mice. And they're like on the lion's team. And there's like a bad team, right? And, and everyone keeps telling them about the lion, about the lion. And how good he is. And, you know, like, and how he's going to save them and all that. But they never see him. And at the end of the book, they finally catch a glimpse of the lion. And they're staring out from the bushes. And they're looking at him. And they're like, and the mice are like, that's Aslan. That's our leader. And they said, oh, wow. And and the kids say, is he safe? 
And the animals are like, of course not, he's not safe. Guys, he's a lion. But he's good. But he is good. Jesus is not safe. But Jesus is good. And this is where I want to end. You see, Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance or the light of the glory of God. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. So exact copy of God. Right? That's what the Trinity is. He's just like the Father. And we read and we know that God is the source of all that is good. Amen? Let's say that louder. Amen? God is the source of all that is good. We read that. Psalm 16, verse 2. David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. In other words, everything that I have that is good in my life, your family, your friends, everything good in your life comes from God. You guys with me? I can wait a little bit. So if all good things come from Jesus, then he must obviously possess all those things, right? If someone gives you money, they obviously had money before they gave it to you. And they probably have more of it, right? There's more where that came from. Or my wife, right? When she helps people medically at work, she's helping because she has a lot of medical knowledge. And she's just giving a little bit every time. And it's the same thing with us and God. God has given us, Jesus has given us all these good things, but he obviously has all of those things. And because he is infinite, he has those things to an infinite degree. So I want you guys to think about this. Just think in your mind right now, guys. Close your eyes if you need to. But think about... The nicest person that you know right now. Whoever that is. The nicest person that you know. Jesus is a billion times nicer. Think about the most patient person that you know. Jesus is infinitely more patient. Think about the most generous person that just always gives truly just from the heart. Jesus is infinitely more generous. Guys, think about the strongest, the most powerful person that you know. Jesus is infinitely stronger. Think about the smartest person that you know. You don't even have to have met them. Just think about the smartest person. Jesus is infinitely smarter than that person. Think about the most loving person, the most caring, kindest person. Jesus is a billion times more loving and caring. Think about the most interesting person you know. Jesus is infinitely more interesting. Infinite. Think about the person you look up to and respect most. Jesus is worthy of infinite respect. Think about the most noble. You already know. He's infinitely more noble than that person. Think about the most hardworking. Infinitely more hardworking. And last one. Think about... The happiest person that you know. Jesus is infinitely happier. And we've probably imagined a lot of different people right now. But all of these qualities, and I'm I'm just getting started. All of these qualities are knit together and found in 
Jesus Christ, who is the fountain, the source of all that is good times a billion. So in conclusion, we've seen that Jesus' words have power over creation, disease, demons. In fact, he holds the entire universe together by just a word, one word, of his power. And when he was here on earth, he spoke unlike any other person before him or after him. He said things that would either qualify him as a lunatic or as Lord himself. We see that Jesus is the I am, the self-existent one who finds whom in whom all things find their meaning and not the other way around. Jesus is terrifying, but Jesus is also good. So my question to you guys before we pray. Do you Do you know him? Or do you just know of him? Have you seen his face? Or are you just looking at him from a distance your whole life? Have you met him? Do you love him? Let's pray. Lord, I've got nothing to say. We worship you for all that you are. And I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us through the Spirit. That we would catch another glimpse of you. And that we would be changed by your glory. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen.